0: Certainly my prayer that the Lord would give us his Holy Spirit and that he would bless us not only to praise him, but to have hearing ears and that he'd give me the ability in spite of what I've studied or not to bring a message that might be beneficial. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on a subject of repentance, and if the Lord would bless, we will continue with our thoughts in that direction this morning. You know, we look around at this nation, and especially for those that have been on the earth for a while, like myself and some of the others, and sometimes we wonder just how we've got to where we are in the day and times in which we live. You know, when you look back in the Old Testament and you study the Old Testament, you will find that the same problems existed then that exist today over time god's people lost their zeal apathy set in today there's more apathy in this nation to i believe which just literally means people don't care anymore than any time at least in my lifetime you know all i can truly relate to other than what i read in god's word is what i've experienced as i have lived on the earth for the past 62 years and whatever years you've lived you've seen by the way of experience things that have come and things that have gone and things that have changed and i think most of us could admit today that a lot of the changes that we're seeing here in this country today are not the changes that we desire you know i believe that our freedom and our liberty is being threatened but when you study god's people of the old testament you find that they underwent the same difficulties from the time they crossed over Canaan till the time that God brought that great enemy, the King, king Nebuchadnezzar from the north, and they went into bondage, a remnant. Many, most of them were destroyed because of their disobedience. Jeremiah and Isaiah and many of the prophets prophesied unto this people time and time again But in Jeremiah's case, they wanted to throw him in jail. They wanted to put him in prison. They didn't want to listen to him. You reckon there's any of God's people today that don't want to listen? There's any of them that have been seared over? Their hearts have been hardened? Their minds have have been uh, overtaken with the things of this world? You know, as we (coughs) studied last or a couple of weeks ago as it was we used as our text one very familiar in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 when it says, If my people who are called by my name. Some people have the wrong idea that that's something being addressed in the Old Testament only, but there's a relevance to all of the Old Testament in the day in which you and I live. God's people were the, the, literally the Hebrew people as we know it in the Old Testament, the Jews. But we find out, even in places of the Old Testament, that Gentiles were brought in. And just because you were a Jew doesn't mean that you'll live in heaven. If you're a Jew, according to God's election, if you're elected, you will go to heaven. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation upon the earth. The Bible tells us that a spiritual Jew in Romans chapter 2 is not one that is circumcised in his flesh, but in the heart. It is God that does that circumcision of the heart. He quickens one who's dead in trespasses and sins and brings to life, brings him to life in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as time has went on from when I was a child to this day, I've encountered many changes among God's people, especially here in West Texas, and that's, that's what we relate to most of all is where we spend our years and our time, and even somewhat in Central Texas, but You know, it's hard to speak of of what's going on in Georgia for me exactly. I have an idea from friends I talk to, but you really relate to what's happening in the world in which you live. As we spoke upon this subject, it was brought to my attention by God's Word that if we're going to repent, it begins with godly sorrow. It begins with mourning over your sins, having offended a holy and righteous God. We know in Psalms 51, in verse 4, David said against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now when we think about the sins that David had there, this is the penitent prayer of, of David, mourning and sorrowing over his sins. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, a sin that he committed because he had too much time on his hands. He didn't go out to, to battle with Uh, The folks with his army as he usually did. So he stayed home. He had a lot of time on his hands. And we all know the story. So he commits adultery. But the next thing he tries to do is cover up that sin with another sin. Which was the sin of murder. And David said against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this great evil in thy sight. Friends, whatever sins you commit today. They're done against God. They go up against God. It doesn't matter how little the sin is or how great. I get amazed at how we may not say it, but we categorize sins. You know, the Bible says that if we're a respecter of persons, we commit a sin. But I'll assure you, most of God's people give that no thought. They really don't. They see the sin of murder, the sin of adultery, the sin of stealing something as being tremendously difficult and bad. That's bad. That's wicked. Over there in our text two weeks ago, it said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, which was what we was talking about, a turning. That's what repentance is. It's a turning from what you're doing to a different direction. It's a walk in a different direction. We sang that song and you hear so many people say we need revival in this country. We do. But I don't believe revival will ever come before repentance. If we don't repent and then have conversion, we won't have revival. God said, turn from your wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So we need to think about repentance and, and what it really means. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance. I'll assure you that if you're never sorry for the sins you commit unto the Lord, it's unlikely you'll ever seek repentance. No matter how little or big the sin is, Because our sins, no matter how large or how small they are in our eyes, are against God. But one thing I want to make known about those sins. As human beings, myself included, it's hard not to rate sins as one being far worse than the other. But I will tell you one thing. No matter how small the sin is in your eyes or my eyes, if it was not covered by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't be in heaven. And when you think of sins in that manner, it doesn't matter how small they are. They've got a relevance to the greatest sin you can think of, do they not? Because if Jesus didn't die for that sin, and we, you or I or any of us committed it, we won't be in heaven. All our sins had to be paid for from what we consider to be the greatest of all sins to the least of all sins. We made a comparison two weeks ago in Luke chapter 15 about the parable of the two lost sons and when we think about that parable we think about the rebel son that's what most people focus on he went out to sow his wild oats if you would to live it up he lived a riotous life he probably out partying with whoever bible tells us that he was with harlots all these things went on and The Bible tells us he came to himself. You know, the Lord has a way of bringing his children to themselves. We know that King Nebuchadnezzar was dealt with by the Lord God Almighty. And at the end of those days in which he was put out to pasture, you might say, Nebuchadnezzar said, and when my reasoning returned unto me, God can cause our reasoning to return unto us. He can cause us to see ourselves, to come to ourselves, and that's what he did. That rebellious brother went to the father and he said, I have sinned against thee and against heaven. And I believe there's no question that that rebellious son was sorrowful for the sins he committed. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Can I just be one of your servants, one of your hired hands? I don't don't deserve the name of son or that label put above me because of the sins I committed against thee and and, and against heaven. Think about that for just a moment. He was really sorrowful of his sins. He came back home and a great party was had for him, as we all know, a great feast. When the elder brother, who stayed at home, Heard of all this noise going on. He wanted to know what all the racket was about, what all was going on. And one of the servants said, your brother has returned home. He wouldn't even acknowledge him as his brother. We're going to find out that this elder brother is a lot like many of God's children are today. He was eat up with self-righteousness. He was eat up with pride. And he found himself very angry at the fact that there was any mercy or compassion given to his brother, blood brother, but he didn't want to call him his brother. He didn't acknowledge his own sins. He was so caught up in looking at the sins of someone else, he, he couldn't see his own sins. And he didn't equate those sins as being near as bad as his brother's sins who went out and dealt with harlots and Probably got drunk, and I can't tell you what all he did, but he he, he lived a righteous living. It, it, it wasn't one that was a God-honoring life. Many of God's children, unfortunately, walked down that path. But that elder brother stayed home, and he done everything that the father told him to do. He worshiped. He went to church. And when he seen how bad his uh, younger brother had acted and left and done what he'd done, he just didn't think there was a place for this brother to be back in the family. He didn't think God the father or his father should have any part with him. Aren't you thankful that God don't look at you and I based upon what we have done or might have done in the past? You know, we believe that uh, our salvation is unconditional. You know, we were told about... Jacob and Esau, for the children not being born yet, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. God made that choice, and it wasn't based on whether they were going to do something good or do something bad. That doesn't mean we ought to do something bad. But if badness is going to get us to heaven, if we understand the holiness and righteousness of God, we all stand condemned before God without any hope. No matter how small your sins may be in your own eyes. It's real easy to overlook our own sins. And the world has, has helped us in that respect, you might say. They've helped mold the minds of our young people. I'll give you an example of a man that I listened to. He's a congressman for 26 years out of Tennessee. And I, I just love to hear what he had to say. He spoke of God over and over and over. And he said over the 26 years he'd been in Congress, he said the enemy sowed terrors. And this is what he said, And whether you agree or don't disagree. He said the enemy put foreigners in our colleges as professors, and they molded the minds of our young people. He said, I started up there, and you look at the young people who are 25 or 26. I have a tendency to believe what he said. We need to understand that Satan is out there, and he works hard. You know, the Bible tells us that we need to seek out God's will in our life. Some people will say, well, I I, I don't know what God's will is. Well, I believe the Bible tells us what God's will is. If you're interested in what God's will is for you in your life, read the Bible. We're told in the 17th chapter of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise. We've been talking about wisdom at Bible study on Wednesday nights. We're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Real real wisdom is when you have enough knowledge of God and what God says to understand what He means. Notice what He says here. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. Some people say, well, I just don't know what God's will for me is. Well, if you want to know what God's will is, then read the Bible. Understand what God said. God commands us to forsake, not the assembling of ourselves, is a manner of some. But you know what the world tells us? Along with the temptation of Satan? They say, you've got a free will. You work hard. You deserve time off. You ought not have to make any sacrifices. This is... You you need to seek out your will, and I tell you, Satan will be there to help you right along with that. But you want to know what God's will is? God's will is that we assemble ourselves together, that we forsake it not. Notice what it says here. Verse 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's God's will that you, you be not drunk. This is just one example. Let's notice another in the 19th verse. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. A lot of people don't put an emphasis on the song service. They really don't. But that is the Lord's will concerning you. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 18, Give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. For this is the will of God in Jesus Christ concerning that you give thanks and everything. Regardless of how bad your day is, there's never a day that you shouldn't give thanks. You want to know what the Lord's will is for you? Read God's word. He lays it out. If it's not in God's word, some people say, well, God has a secret will. Well, if it's secret, he didn't intend for you and I to know it. What God intended for you and I to know, I think, is laid out in God's word. It's specific. We need to do the best we can to assemble ourselves. That's just one thing. There's many things. The Bible says, Thou shall have no other gods before me. That's the first and greatest commandment. You see, the reason we need to repent is because we have not walked in harmony with God's will. In other words, we've been disobedient. We've not taken to heart the teachings of God's word. I'll assure you, there are thousands of God's children who no longer attend a worship service anywhere. That's not God's will. That's not God's intention. God intended, because there's a great benefit, for us to not forsake that, but to come to His house for the purpose of worshiping Him. No other purpose do we come here. We don't come here as a social gathering, we enjoy one another's company. We're not coming here to play dominoes or cards. We're coming here to worship the only true and living God. And I hope today that's what we do. I hope what little we do here today will please the Lord in some way. Repentance is something that is spoken of early in in the Old Testament. And it continues as a theme through all the Bible, even into the book of Revelations. You know, I think about the church at Ephesus. Nearly every church is spoken to in uh, Revelations chapter 2 and 3, the seven churches of Azar Minor. The theme to those churches was to repent, to repent. The engine that drives repentance is godly sorrow. If you never are sorry unto God or mourn over the sins you commit, no matter how small or large they are, especially those small ones that we see as insignificant, then we won't repent of them. We won't seek repentance, and we won't mourn over them. Do you think there's many people that are mourning and sorrowful over the fact that they're no longer assembling themselves together? I don't think so. The world has beat it into their minds that they need to follow their own will. You know, I quoted that verse. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I believe that idolatry, as it was in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Isaiah 31 here in just a few minutes for the remainder of our time, but I believe idolatry is the greatest of all sins. A lot of people in today's world will tell you, well, I I don't have a graven image of gold or silver or a wooden statue on my mantle or in my house that I worship. But let me read to you a a definition of idol. An idol is anything which usurps the place of God in the hearts of his rational creatures. I certainly believe that we've been given a mind to be rational. Usurp means to place as importance or power. Anything in your heart that becomes more important to you than God, it doesn't matter if it's your job. It doesn't matter if it's how you feel about yourself. I believe the number one idol is self, the love of self. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's sports or entertainment or traveling, anything that takes preeminence in your heart, more importance in your heart is an idol. And idolatry, I believe, is rampant in the land today as it ever was in the Old Testament. Because idols have driven God's people away from the Lord. Because the Lord does not have a, the place of importance in the heart. That he should have. So we've seen repentance in several ways. In the church at Ephesus, the Lord didn't condemn the church for not attend- for lack of attendance, nor the lack of doing things. They were doing things. But their efforts in the church had become mechanical. And what I mean by that, they were just going because they felt like and knew that's what they ought to do. But Jesus said, and Jesus spoke to these seven churches. He said, For I have somewhat against thee, for thou hast left thy first love. And what did he say to do? He says, Repent and do the first works. The heart has always been a problem, even with the Lord's people. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible tells us that our flesh is at odds with God and always has been. There's a battle that rages inside every child of God. The flesh lusts against the spirit. Paul talked about this war in Romans chapter 7. He said evil is always present with me. And it is with us. Satan is always there to deceive us. And you realize after time that Satan has never added any new weapons to his arsenal because the ones that he had at the beginning are as effective today as there ever was. He deceived Eve. He beguiled her, the serpent, being Satan. Today he's full of deception. Your own flesh and Satan himself will deceive you telling you, you don't need to go to the house of the Lord. You need to stay home and rest. You've had a hard week. Things have been tough in your life. Maybe your mind's not right. Or any other thing that we don't do. If we don't sing, it's because we have convinced ourselves, along with the help of Satan that there's no need for us to sing, but that's not what the Bible says. It says, be not, therefore, wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We can read what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is many things. You know, the Bible tells us the first and greatest commandment in the New Testament is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. I'll tell you right now, if you have that kind of love for God, you will never have anything that has more importance in your heart than God. If something else becomes more important in your heart, Than the Lord, then we're not loving the Lord up to the standard that we're called to love Him. We have that ability. So we see that individuals need to repent. We'll not get to that today. The Bible tells us of several, a city named Nineveh that did repent at the preaching of Jonah. We see churches are called on to repent, but we see entire nations. When our text said, Turn from your wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will, forgive your sin. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Friends, as we go through this in chapter 31, I want you to consider, do we need some healing in our land today? We need some healing. What's interesting about that verse is, unless there's a turning from our wicked ways, unless we repent, I don't believe the Lord's going to forgive our sin and heal our land. Like I said, repentance is a a vast subject, and it's something that we need to do. And until we have that engine called sorrow, godly sorrow that drives us to repentance, we're unlikely to repent because we don't acknowledge our own sins. We don't think they're that bad, so we just go on. Beginning in Isaiah 31, there are nine verses. But we begin with this first verse, and it says, Woe. Anytime the Bible says woe, I'll tell you right now, it's something you ought to pay extreme attention to. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Now, in the Bible, when it it says go down to Egypt, it literally means to go out in the world to seek your help from man, from the wisdom of this world, from the philosophers of this world, from the instructors of this world. But it says woe to them that go down to Egypt. You know, the world can come too much of a a lovely place for us. God has blessed us to live here, and we ought to enjoy it. But 1 John chapter 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not of the Lord. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. The Bible, when it says they go up to Jerusalem, it speaks of going to the Lord. Seeking the Lord. But here this woe is being sent out to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. We might hear that same warning sent out to God's people scattered in the United States of America. Woe to them that seek their help from this world. To stay on horses and to trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen. Because they are very strong. We have a lot of strong people out here. We have a lot of You don't have to look very far to find people that tell you how they can help you with all your problems. They got an answer for whatever's wrong in your life. And a lot of times the answers they give you are not based upon the word of God. Not every answer you get is wrong, but it needs to be according to thus saith the Lord. It needs to be in harmony with God's will. Wherefore be not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's where we need to start. We need to want to understand what the will of the Lord is for us in our lives. It says, because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Over the course of the last 50 years, I think we've seen less and less people, God's people, in this land seeking the Lord. Seeking their help from God. They go out and their souls are unfilled, they're ma- uh, spiritually mal- mal- mal-mourished, um, malnourished, get the word out in a minute. And they seek peace and joy and happiness from everything in the world. They're fed up with life, they're full of apathy, they're tired, they're weary. And they're searching for happiness out here in the world. They're not seeking the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Notice verse 2. Yet he is also wise, will bring evil, and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. You know, I think about God's mercy. God is rich in mercy. God's long-suffering goes for a long time, but it's not endless. It's certainly not. He was long-suffering with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. He's been long-suffering with his people today. But there comes a day that his long-suffering will stop. You know, it tells us in <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that he receives. When God's long-suffering stops, God's judgment comes. And it came upon the children of Israel collectively as a nation. It may come upon the United States collectively as a nation. Sometimes we have a hard time feeling like we had anything to do with that. We're coming to the house of the Lord. We're trying to do the best that we can. But I don't believe any of us are totally and completely immune from that. We're not like, it's easy to fall into the category of that elder brother. Well, I've done everything right. I've been going to church. But how much importance is it? Are we just going like the church at Ephesus? Are we going through the motions? We know we ought to be in the house of the Lord. We were raised that way, been doing it most of the years of our life. Is our heart in the worship service? Do you come in the house of the Lord with Jesus Christ on your mind? Or do you come in with with the world? Do you bring the world in and the thoughts of the world? Is Is that what fills your mind and your thoughts when we enter into God's house? We're to leave that stuff outside these walls. That's what the Bible says. Number three, verse three. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. our only true help is in God. Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. When we need help regarding any circumstance or problem, we need to seek the Lord's help and the Lord's counsel, which is taught through His word, revealed to us in His word. His will for us in His life is revealed to us in His word. When the Lord shall... uh, uh, Stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that hopeth shall fall down, and they shall fall together. When we go out into this world, there's coming a time, according to the Lord, and there was coming a time in Israel that those they sought help from, and those ones seeking the help were going to fall together. In other words, you know regardless of what we're doing, if God brings judgment, we're going to suffer the consequences. There's not a better illustration of this than when Jonah disobeyed the Lord. God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh and to preach. Jonah didn't like them people and Jonah didn't want to go and Jonah decided he would follow his own will. I'm going to go to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa and he got in a ship. And we all know the story of Jonah. As that great wind, the Lord sent a storm. We'll preach on storms in the coming days maybe God sends some storms into our life, and he sent a great wind with a great tempest. I'm tell you, when God sends a wind into your life, you can't overcome it. And the mariners were very afraid on this ship, and they all sought their little gods. What I want to tell you is sometimes when we do things that are against the will of the Lord, that are disobedient, it doesn't just affect us. Everybody on that boat was being affected by the disobedience of one man, that being Jonah. Verse 4, For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as a lion and the young lion roaring on his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself, for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion, and for the hill thereof. God will fight for his people, especially when his people fight for him. You know, the is something that has been attracted to many of the Lord's people. Paul said over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for Demas has forsaken me. For the love of this present world. It's not happened once. Lot. When he took his journey with his uncle Abram, as we know Abraham, and Sarah, they went down into Egypt, and Lot liked what he saw. Lot is a great example of a man who walked by sight and not by faith. His uncle Abraham walked by faith and not by sight, where God told Abraham to go. He went. You know, God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh and to preach. He didn't like Nineveh. They, the folks at Nineveh were Gentiles, and the Jews didn't have any, any use for a Gentile, period. But God told him to go preach to them, and he didn't want to, so he decided to run from the Lord. He said, I'll just take this boat. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter where you go, you're not ever going to get away from the Lord. Remember that. No matter how bad your life is, no matter where you're going to go to escape God, God is there. He's in the heavens. He's in the depths of hell. Wherever you go, that's where the Lord is. He's everywhere present and he's nowhere absent. It says in verse 5 as the birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve. When God is in the midst of our battles, we can win. We're threatened today with the loss of freedom and liberty, I believe. And if we're to hold on to that, it's going to take the help of the Lord. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We can't accomplish the things that we need. We sang that song, Revive Us Again. But I believe God's people need to repent, all of us. We all have something that we need to repent of, I'm sure. Are you ever sorrowful for the sins you committed against God? Notice what it says here in verse 6. Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. The children of Israel backslid tremendously. They deeply revolted. I wonder if that's the only time in the history of mankind that God's children revolted against Him. I don't think so. Revolting against God is to turn away from God. Notice in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. It says in verse 1, And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet. And he, was, he went out to meet Asa. Asa was a very godly king in Judah. And he went out to, and, and hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and all Benjamin, The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. There comes a time that, if we're disobedient long enough and if we fail to acknowledge our sins, we fail to turn from those sins because we have sorrow and mourn for our sins against the holy and righteous God, that God very well can turn away. He said if we don't turn from our wicked ways in Second Chronicles, He wouldn't hear from heaven and He wouldn't forgive our sin and He wouldn't heal our land. He'd let us fall into our own myrrh like, the, like those pigs that wall in their own myrrh. Turn ye unto him from whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Now verse seven for in that day when they turned, when they repented, what did they repent of? For in that day every man shall cast away his idols. I'm telling you, idolatry is a, is a terrible thing. We're told in Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. This know also in the last days peerless times shall come. That word peerless means difficult and dangerous. The first thing it says is men shall be lovers of their own selves. I tell you what, it's hard not to love yourself more than you love God. It's a challenge. It is. But we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we love God as we should, we won't experience this problem of idols replacing God in our heart and becoming more important to us. You might say, well, how do I know? Well, where do you spend your time, your money, your thoughts? How many thoughts do you have during the week upon the Lord and upon His kingdom? There's lots of ways to examine ourselves, to self-examine ourselves. Are we making sacrifices for God that God calls upon us to make? And sometimes they are sacrifices. Sometimes we just don't want to get up and go. Sometimes we just don't want to do it. I understand that. We all have those days. But if we love the Lord more than we love ourselves, we'll get up and go anyway. How much of a sacrifice did Jesus make when he got up and he walked to the cross of Calvary? Made the greatest sacrifice ever known to mankind, did he not? And you and I's hope of living in heaven is based upon what Jesus done. And Jesus alone. We ought to be able to make the smallest of sacrifices. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver, his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. Any idol we have is sin because it replaces God as being more important than God. And friends, I'm here to tell you that's, that's, that's a challenge. <clears throat> we, re- we have busy lives. No matter what part of life or what age you are and what you're involved in, there's a lot going on. It takes some conscious effort to keep the Lord in his proper place. We're told in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus Christ made all things. And that he's to have the preeminence in our life. That means he's to be first. That's not just on Sunday morning. It needs to be first every day because God will bless the ones who put God first in their lives. I believe that with all my heart. You know, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. He says, my joy I give unto you in John 15. He gives us joy and he gives us peace that this world can't give us. But I'll tell you, many of God's children have spent many hours and many days seeking peace and joy and happiness from Egypt, from this world. And that will never satisfy the needs of your soul. You may not think your soul has a need, but I'll assure you it does. The child of God... Needs his soul fed with spiritual food on a regular basis. We need it. Because we were created for God's glory. To give him glory and to give him praise. And one day we have this promise of living in a place called heaven or paradise. Where the troubles that we encounter in this life, problems, all the things will exist no longer. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I look forward to it. I really do. And he goes on and he says, Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword not of a mighty man, and the sword not of a mean man, shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomforted. And he shall pass over to to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fires in Zion... And his furnaces in Jerusalem. When God's fighting our battles, we can't help but win. Can you imagine where David would have been as a young shepherd boy had he went up against Goliath in his own name? He approached that giant, which was a real giant. He'd be a giant to you and I, especially to me, no bigger than I am. But, you know, he went. To war against that giant, unlike the rest of the Israelites would, his older brothers, in the name of the armies of the only true and living God. He knew that God would win the battle for him. Whatever battles you and I face in life, I don't care if they're at work, at home, at school. We need God in in our midst, fighting our battles, helping us through the struggles of life. Not seeking our help from the world. And when you do seek help, try the spirits, as the Bible say. Know if it be a godly advice, advice that's in harmony with God's word. God's word is revealed to us throughout Scripture. His will. You know, I, I hear so much about God's will. and What is God's will for me? Read the Bible. God's will for you, one thing, is that you're here to sing praises in your heart and make, make melody in your heart unto Him. That's God's will. That's not... That's not a good suggestion he made, nor a suggestion that I made. That's God's will. It's God's will that you forsake not the assembling yourself as is the manner of others. It's God's will that you don't have an idol in your life that replaces him. It's God's will that you don't commit murder. We can go on and on and on. If you want to know what God's will is, just read God's word. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. No matter how bad your day is, we have something to be thankful for. You know, you can have the worst day in life, and it, it could be very tragic, but, you know, there's, a, there's something we had to be thankful for, the hope we have in Jesus Christ in heaven, regardless of how bad life is. We're looking forward to that day. May God bless us to turn from our ways and, and to examine ourselves, to understand that we live for his glory and his honor and his praise.